Please remain standing uh, while I read you Psalm 19. It's also going to be on the screen if you want to follow along. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. The voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You can go ahead and have a seat. If you, if you have a Bible, you want to turn to Psalm 19. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the back table. Um, if you would like one, you can take one of those. It's our gift to you. Um, so we're about to begin a journey here right now through the Psalms, and one of the things that I promise you is going to happen is your heart's going to be tugged a little bit, okay? Because one, one of the realities of the Psalms is that um, no matter where you're at in life, there's Psalms that relate to what's going on in your world. You follow that? You, you understand that? Okay, no matter where you're at, and we're going we're gonna to kind of be all over the place in, in different psalms, um, but I believe what God wants to do in these next several weeks is begin to pull on our affections to draw us closer to Him. Okay, but I want to give you kind of a, a scaffolding or framework to think um, while we're in the psalms. So let me just give you some background and teach for a second about here's kind of what the psalms are, how they're made up, so that as we journey throughout these next several weeks, you have somewhat of an idea of what we're, what we're dealing with here, okay? So um, let me just put some stuff up here on the screen, and um, we'll work through some of this. Um, so the title of the psalms, it's called the psalms, um, oftentimes called the Psalter, which is like a, a songbook. It was li- literally Israel's um, hymnal. Okay, and, and most often they were put to, to music, songs to the accompaniment of a stringed instrument, okay? They, they contained praise songs that were intended for individual and corporate worship. 
Okay, now, uh, numerous people wrote the Psalms. Who, who do we know, who do we attribute most of the Psalms to? David wrote 73 Psalms. There's actually 49 of the Psalms are anonymous. We don't know who wrote them. Um, and they span over several hundred years, possibly as many as 900 years from the first one written by Moses, Psalm 90, to, to one several hundred years later. Um, the Psalms are divided up into five books, okay? Five books. Take a look at this. Um, you see the five books up there? And what's, what's crazy is if you go to the end of each book, like go to 40, the last verse in 41, the last verse in 72, 89, 106, 150, you're going to see like a burst of, of praise kind of capping off that book, okay? But what's, what um, uh, theologians believe is that the books, the five books correspond to the five um, books in the Torah, Okay, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Torah, or the, the Pentateuch. Okay, um, and the theme, what, what do you think? What do you think the theme of, of the Psalms is? Any ideas? Uh, let, let's read a verse. Luke twenty four forty four. Jesus says this, Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Okay, so maybe you were thinking it, and you're like, I don't know if I should say that. The, the theme of the Psalms is, is Christ. Okay, and so every one of the Psalms that we look at um, I'm going to do the best job I can. Rick's going to do the best job he can to point to here's how it points to Christ. And, and here's, here's the way it, it happens. It's through prophecy. Majority of the prophecies that happen in the Old Testament in reference to what's coming in and through the person and work of Jesus Christ happen in the Psalms. Um, several different types of psalms. You've probably heard several of these. Lament, which is the largest group of psalms. Thanksgiving, praise, confession. Royal psalms written for, um, for kings and leaders. Wisdom psalms. Pilgrim psalms that were recited as they were traveling. Okay? Um, and today, as we look at Psalm 19, um, really Psalm 19 is broken up into two parts. And we're going to land, we're going to land heavy on verses 7 through 9. Okay, um, but it's broken up into two parts. In the first six verses, um, r- literally the two parts were believed to have been written at different times, and the psalm was joined together um, at, at another time. Um, but the first six verses are the, the psalm of, of praise. Okay, and then the last several, 7 through 14, are, are um, what's known as, a, as the wisdom psalms. Um, but what's interesting is much of the, the historicity of Psalm 19 is unknown. So there's not some massive event that kind of surrounds, you know, like Psalm 51. We're familiar with what's Psalm 51. What's the event that surrounds Psalm 51? David and Bathsheba, okay. There's not really this massive event that surrounds Psalm 19. But here's what's crazy. Is that even though there's no known event, like this is like just David, right? As if he's writing in his journal. The unbelievable weightiness of the words we're about to unpack. And it's like an everyday occurrence for him. 
Man, that's challenging. It's challenging. But let's, uh, let's dive in. Um, Psalm 19. The first several verses are going to talk about God's revelation, what's known as general revelation through creation. Um, Psalm 19, verse 1. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God. Okay, I, I, don't, I don't know if, like, what's going through your head right now, but like, could it not be more true Okay, that in the past several weeks or several hours that the heavens are saying, there's a God and he is powerful, right? Do you you resonate with that? The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim his handiwork. So not only in the storms, and, and even in the storms, like we can't necessarily understand fully, like why, you know, a mother driving down the road with her baby in Oklahoma was... Swept away, like, but, but get this, like, there's a God who's powerful, and apart from his mercy and grace, can absolutely obliterate us, okay? The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim his handiwork, day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their measuring line goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber. And like a strong man runs its course with joy, its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. Here's what we know about general revelation known as creation is that it's a, it's a public demonstration and proclamation of the power of God. Like it's shouting. And Romans 1 will go so far to say that it leaves every single person on the face of the planet without excuse as to the question of the existence of God. Go check it out. Romans 1, I think it's like around verse 18. Man is without excuse. Now, Here's the, here's the hard thing, is that, that you and I, if we're honest, we, we want to be God, right? I mean, we want to have the authority and the ability to set our ways and set our plan and to, to change the way things operate, even to the extent that we would be willing to rewrite some of the chapters of the Bible, but also rewrite some of the chapters of our own lives, Okay, and much of the Psalms um, are what's known as Psalms of Lament, and we're not looking at one of those today, but, but they're, they're like complaints and they're arguments that God is mistaken. God, you've made a mistake. And if we're honest, much of our lives are that way. We're, we're like, no, like I'm, I'm in charge. I, mean, I want to be in charge. I want to be in control. God, God you, you don't know what you're doing. You, you ever thought that? God, I don't think you took into account how this would affect me. God, do you realize what I'm going through down here? God, you've put people around me that continually take advantage of me. God, why did you create me with these flaws? Do you resonate with any of these? Maybe others are popping in your head. Here's the truth that we have to settle on this morning and that Psalm 19 is going to help us settle on is that you and I, Whether we like it or not, you and I make incredibly lousy 
dots. Lousy. Like so lousy that like first day on the job, everything's going down. Okay? And Psalm 19 is going to help us see that. So let's take a look. Starting at verse 7. And what I, what I want you to notice as we walk through the next three verses is there's, there's um, six somewhat synonymous references to the, to the decrees and the will of God. Okay? Um, law, testimonies, precepts, commands, fear, and rules. So um, check these out and then we'll unpack it. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous all together. Now, let's start at, let's start at the beginning there. The, the law. What's, what's a law? What's this idea of, of law? It's really a system of commands that's been designed to allow a society to flourish. Like, not just kind of get by, but, but the goal is that the society would really function and, and flourish, okay? In, in Israel's case, the law was known as the Pentateuch or the Torah, okay? The first five books of the Bible. And here, here's, how the, here's the general rule of thumb when it, when it comes to law, is that you abide in these parameters, in these guidelines, and you're going to find blessing, and you're going to be all right. You seek to push outside of these guidelines that have, that have been set out. Here's what's going to happen. It's going to go bad for you. Okay, so if, if we went out these doors and we got in our cars and we all just said, hey, let's see who can get to St. Charles the fastest. Ready, set, go. Okay, there's going to be some people that have some problems with that, okay, um, especially if all of us did it at once, okay, if we press outside of the boundaries, if, if we would all go over and walk over to, I don't know, some bank across the street and decide to get some money for lunch um, in improper means, um, there'd be some problems with that, right, okay, well, there's, there's parameters and guidelines that have been set to allow our community, our society to function well and flourish. Okay, and to the extent you operate outside of those, there's going to be problems. When I was growing up, here's how it went. Um, when I walked out my front door, I was a little kid. I don't remember how old, but I think my parents just took these off a couple years back. But um, So I walk out my front door, and about four houses down to the right, a little uh, brown house with a black mailbox. The guy didn't know how to match stuff. But um, right there, I couldn't go further than that. Okay, um, this way here, uh, my buddy Nathan's house, I uh, couldn't go further than that, and I wasn't allowed to cross the street. Okay, those are the boundaries. Okay, I could ride my bike, I could set up the newspaper to jump on my, you know, BMX bike, and it was awesome. Okay, but I couldn't jump across the street, I couldn't go across the street, okay? Those were my boundaries. And to the extent that I operated within those boundaries, like, things went well. My parents found me across the street, that was a problem, Okay, if they, they saw me, you know, pass like you were in that drive. Well, I was turning around, Mom. I'm like, no, it's this drive, so you need to plan ahead. No, okay, you follow me? Okay, if I operate outside of those, there's a problem. Okay, now, David, 
in this psalm of wisdom and praise. Listen to what he says. Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect. Okay, now we have a problem with that. Okay, because you and I know very little about perfection. I would argue that we really don't know it at all. Okay? Because we live in a world that's broken and tainted by sin. And so when we talk about something being perfect, we have these ideas in our minds that we set up, but really, like, we don't know perfection. Apart from what David is saying is the law of God. Okay? And, and this idea of being perfect is it's complete, it's sound, it's whole, blameless, free from en- any flaw. It's unscathed. You cannot add to it or take away from it. It is absolutely perfect. Now, our minds race, okay, per- perfection. What's, we think about, okay, the perfect body, okay? What, what, what does that look like? And Okay, the, the perfect um, family. So who would that include and who would that not include? And should kids be in that? Should, not, you know, should you live in a ranch? Should you live in a, like, you know, what, what, is, what does perfection look like? Okay, the perfect marriage, any of you claim to be in it? <laughs> Nobody, people got some frowns on their faces. No. Um, okay, the perfect society, listen, we have a broken government, but you know what, we've always had a broken government, because our government's always been led by sinful men and women. So nothing's changed from the beginning to now. It's always been broken. Okay? And, and what's perfect, okay, we could argue all over, all over the map about, okay, should people carry guns or not? And what should be the laws on abortion? And what should be the, the laws on, on marriage and, and gay marriage? And like, we could argue all, all over the map on that. Okay, but, but the truth of the matter is that, that David says, and the Bible says that the law of the Lord is perfect. Right here. Like, what's set out in the scriptures is absolutely perfect. So when you and I open the Bible and we come to passages that we're like, what? what? Okay, perfect. Imperfect. Okay, infinite, finite. It doesn't compute sometimes. Okay, it's why we need the Holy Spirit. It's why we need the Holy Spirit to show us the depths of God. Look to the left Chapter 18, verse 30, it says this. This God, love this, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. His way is perfect. Maybe you're like, I just don't know that I believe that. I don't know that I see that as as true. Listen, you'll never find that God's way is perfect unless you seek to understand God's ways, okay? And there's a level to this life of faith that it's called faith because sometimes I don't understand, but I know God's faithful, and I know he's true, and I know he's perfect, and his ways are perfect, 
So maybe this morning, what you need to settle your heart in and what you need to walk out of here in is a, is a, is a reminder that God's ways are perfect. And I don't know where you might be wrestling with that, where you might be struggling with that in some sense of identity and some, some sense of job and some sense of relationship um, or, or what it may be. God's ways are perfect. Amen? God's ways are perfect. God, help us where our minds can't grasp that. By your spirit, enable us to grasp that. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. What's, what's sure? It's trustworthy. Okay, get this. Okay, so I'm going to confess to you this morning that I'm not trustworthy. Okay, I'm your, one of your pastors, and I'm not trustworthy. Why? I'm not perfect. There's going to be times I tell you I'm going to do something, and I don't do it. And I'm not just saying, like, that's just okay. But what I'm saying is that, like, I'm a sinful human being that's broken, and I'm going to not fully be trustworthy at times, okay? Why can we say the testimony of God is sure? It's because he's perfect, the ways of God are, if the ways of God aren't perfect, there's no sense that it can be trustworthy, right? What's a testimony? It's a witness. And in this case, it's, it's a witness of the character of God. And unless you know that the character of God is perfect, okay, the scriptures are testifying to the, the nature and character of God. It's why if we come to the Bible and we in one way say that it's not 100% accurate, that there's some sense of error in this book, okay, then you can't trust any of it. You follow that? Okay, but that's why as a church and as Christians, we have to claim inerrant, without error. If If we believe there's any sense of error in this book, we're done. But it's inerrant. It's perfect. Verse 8. The precepts of the Lord are right. Precepts are just um, rules that regulate behavior. The precepts of the Lord are, are right. Okay, now, um, maybe you're a skeptic in here. Okay, I would on some level argue that my daughter is a skeptic. Okay, she's only five, but she's um, quite the skeptic. Um, because every opportunity she has, she'll um, argue against the things of God. Okay, um, in some pretty unbelievable ways. Okay, um, she'll push on like what's right and wrong. Okay, now some of you maybe are like me. You grew up and you're like, what, I, I'm not supposed to like walk out those doors at, you know, quarter till. Okay, I won't I'll go out this way. What? No, he's looking. Let's go. Okay, so, I mean, you, you, some of you are just like, what's right? Okay, like, tell me what's right and wrong, and I'm just going to do what's right and wrong. Well, well sorry. I'm just going to do what's right. <laughs> Those of you that are skeptics, you're like, well, tell me what's right and wrong, and I'll do what's wrong. Or I'll argue to the core that you're wrong. Okay? But David says the, the law of the Lord is... I'm sorry, the precepts of the Lord are right. They're regulating behavior. They're saying, here's the, 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 the call of God. Okay, and how you should love one another 
how you should live in selfish lives, how you should flee immorality, and how we should serve the poor, and how we should preach the gospel. The right, the correct path. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. So we have pure, we have clean, we have true, the essence of of perfection. Now, before you think I'm going to skip over some of the brilliance that's packed in here, let's go back up to verse 7. Because here's the truth, there's consequences when the law is applied properly. There's consequences when it's applied improperly. But here's what I want you to see. Verse 7 says, the law of the Lord is perfect. And what does it do? Check this, this is, this is amazing. I think maybe we'll, by God's grace, help transform your heart this morning. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. One of the consequences is revival. Okay, when we submit ourselves to the perfect, to the perfection. Okay, God, I'm not all wise, you're all wise. So when I come to the Bible and it says I'm supposed to love my enemies, I don't understand that. But the law of the Lord is perfect. So I'm going to submit to the reality that I'm not God, nor should I try to be God. And every time I try to be God, it's going to go bad. So here's what needs to happen. I need my soul to be revived. David is praising God that his law is perfect. And what the perfect, perfect law does is it actually takes a soul that's dwindling, that's struggling, and it revives it. It brings it to life. It, it offers it hope and vitality. Here's the truth. You and I are incredibly naive to the fact that our soul needs revival. We're incredibly naive, okay, to the fact that our soul needs revival, to the depth to which it needs revival. Some of you are like, I can just come here and, you know, hear somebody preach and read a couple songs, and I'm kind of, st- I'm kind of revived, and then I go out and I'm, I'm okay. And I would convince you, No. If that's the extent where, to which you're submitting yourselves to the perfect law of God, like, you're not okay. Listen, don't ever let me, don't ever let Rick be a substitute for your submission to the will of God. You get with Jesus. Get with Jesus. Don't expect me to get with Jesus and, and that be your getting with Jesus as I get with you. Okay, I'm going to do that and... Lord, move, okay? But you get with Jesus. And you ask him to restore, to revive, because here's, here's the truth. Have you ever been in a boat? Fishing or skiing or just enjoying and the wind's blowing and you're maybe near the dock or you're maybe fishing on the shore my dad used to always yell at me. I, he was teaching me how to use the trolling motor, and I was getting older, and, and uh, we'd be fishing, and he'd be like, get closer to the edge, and I can't reach the shore, and like, because and, and, the boat starts drifting, it starts, like, and you don't realize it. And before you know it, you're like way far out. Okay, like in the Christian life, 
Unless we submit ourselves, unless we put ourselves under the law of God and we actually take this in, we drift. And there's no sense of accountability where we can submit ourselves and we can say, whoa, whoa, man, I haven't been resting. This is talking about rest. Like, what is rest? You know, call it, hey, what is rest? There's something in the Bible about rest. You, you, you understand that? Unless we, we come and we submit ourselves to this. Um, so my, my kids love to roller skate. Okay? And depending upon the goal of roller skating, um, if I want to be entertained, I put roller skates on them and I just stand back and say, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> okay, I don't normally do that. I've maybe done it once. Um, there's carpet. But, um, <clears throat> and our carpet's like this thick in our living room. But anyway, um, no, what, what do I do? I, I guide them, right? Like I'm, they, I'm, I'm a source of accountability, okay? It's like training wheels. It's like a guardian that's helping to establish a sense of stability and a sense of rightness. When we submit ourselves to the law of God, what we're doing is we're creating accountability in our lives that, that, that reveal to us the will of God and the ways of God. And then by his spirit will convict us. This is, this is what we talk about when we talk about reviving the soul. Some of you are here today, and your soul is just beat up. Because when you go out those doors, and life hits you, and you've been in your home without power for who knows how many hours, and you're fighting with your neighbor, you're fighting with your spouse, your kids won't behave, or whatever it may be, listen, your soul is just getting beat up. And I would hope that maybe this morning, by God's grace, your eyes would be open to the reality that your soul needs to be revived. And listen, this is a daily process. And for some of us, you, you've been out of um, a submission to the authority of the word. And all I mean is that, like, actually sitting with Jesus. So your drift, man, is a little further. So it looks like for you to actually be, come under the perfect law of God. It's going to take a little more work. Maybe some of you, like, it's just, you just drifted a little. No matter what, listen, it revives your soul. The law of the Lord is perfect. It revives your soul. And so no matter how you feel this morning, no matter what the condition of your soul is this morning, whether you know Jesus or not, the truth of the matter is that right there on the table is the offer perfect law of God fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ for every single person in this room to come under the perfect law and will of God it goes on the testimony of the Lord is sure the testimony of the Lord is sure making wise the simple Okay, so some of you are like, well, simple. Like, yeah, we're supposed to live simplistic lives. And Okay, listen, anytime the Bible uses the term simple, it's a bad thing. Okay, it means naive, and it means foolish. So if your goal is to be simple, that's just a bad goal. Let me put it that way, to say it nicely. 
Okay, here's how the Proverbs, who most often use the, the parallel between the prudent man and the simple man, here's how the Proverbs put it. Proverbs 22, verse 3, say the prudent sees danger and hides himself. Because the, the prudent one is like, tornado sirens are going off. We've been around the, you know, this area for the last several years. We're going to go get under the stairs. But the simple go on and suffer for it. They're like, you see that, that video on TV, the guy's like, wow, let's go check this thing out. And like the roof blows off right in front of him. I'm like, this is what the Bible calls a simple man. Thank you for those people who help us know when to take cover and whatnot. So I guess God's grace is on them. Um, but, um, okay, do you see the difference? So the simple, and here's what I, what I think is true, is that we think that God is merely a supplement to our wisdom, and we're content in being fools. That God's just like, you know, like, I get my workout in on my own, and then I take my God in. And he's just going to, you know, make sure I'm good. And all the while, we just live naive. Because we don't know God. We don't live with God. Listen, we're, we're a young church and I think this is a struggle for us. And you better believe it's why I came to Psalm 19. Because I want us to grow in a passion for the word of God. And to see this as the law of God and the strength of God. And the means by which we know him. This isn't the end all. Jesus says we come to the scriptures because it points to him. But I think this is a weakness for us. I think many of us are simple. And some of us are okay with that. And I would call us out of that. I would call us into the, a prudent life that submits to the wisdom of God. And the, under the testimonies of God that he's a, a, a righteous and a good and perfect God. And he takes the simple, the foolish, the naive, and he brings wisdom. Verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Here's what's crazy, is that one of the consequences of submitting yourself to the will of God is that you actually find joy. Bummer, huh? Man, it's unfortunate. No, but like rejoicing the heart. I look at some of you, and man, I know it's maybe been a tough week. And I pray that, man, God would rejoice, like bring, restore joy in us. But that's the incredible nature of the law of God, of submitting ourselves to the law of God, is that we actually can find joy. And when we stop resisting the ways of God, we begin to submit ourselves to what maybe we don't fully understand. We'll come to grips with Psalm 16, too, that says, apart from you, I have no good thing. Oftentimes, we're not quite sure of that. You know, as long as I get my God supplement, I actually brought a good water cup for this analogy. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. One of the, one of the realities of 
submitting ourselves to the, to the will of God is that it opens our eyes. It, it enables us to have gospel lenses to see with a perspective that Jesus came to make all things new. Okay, to see with a perspective that even as I talk about the law of God and some of you are thinking like, okay, I gotta do, 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 do. The enlightening of the eyes is the perspective that no. Like, first and foremost, Christ has done for us. And out of that, then, we, in him we live and move and have our being. Okay, but this morning, maybe some of you, your, your eyes need to be open and your perspective needs to be changed. And maybe your view of perfect needs to be restored through what God says is perfect. Not through what you think maybe is perfect, what society says perfection is. What's your perception of your possessions? Is it the end of it when a tornado takes your house out? When a tree falls on it? When you lose your power? Is it the end of it? Maybe your eyes need to be enlightened. What's your perception of your money? You hold it tightly. Or you realize it's God's. I give it freely. What's your perspective of your, your, your perspective of yourself, of others? When we position ourselves under the ways of God, our eyes are enlightened, our eyes are opened. It continues on, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous all together. Now check this out, verse 10. More to be desired are they than gold, and even much fine gold. Some of you are like, you see what it's putting up next to each other? Okay, really the most treasured possession in all of history, okay, versus like the ways of God, the law of God. And David's like, Gold is rubbish. It's trash. It's worthless. I don't want it. Because when I submit myself to the ways of God, I have everything I need for life and godliness. Second Peter one three. Sweeter also than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. Like what an image of the sweetness of the treasure we have in relationship with Jesus Christ as we submit to him through his ways and through his word. Verse 11, Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and warned, in keeping them there is great reward. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever sensed the reward of God on your life for just seeking to humbly do what he calls you? Have you, have you ever sensed the reward of God on your life. So I'm just trying to do what you call me to do. Not in my own strength, but in the power of the Holy Spirit through the work of Christ. I'm just trying to do what you call me to do. And there's a whole lot of brokenness and a whole lot of repentance. Because here's the truth. Yes, there's great reward. Some of you need to, be, need to know today that on this earth, you might not feel the reward of your faithfulness to God. 
But God, God sees it. He sees it. And if the law of the Lord is perfect, then this statement is 100% bankable. That there's a great reward. And you know what it is? Relationship. 17.3, this is eternal life. That you have streets of gold in heaven? No. That you know me. That you know me. And then we come to the powerful confession and surrender of David. In verse 12, it says this. Who can discern his ways? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. He's just confessing. He's like, God, I want to be innocent before you. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. And then here it is, church. Here's where we land. Here's the response that we walk into here in a minute. Is verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. If you're here today and there's not something stirred in your heart that just says, God, I just want to be acceptable to you. Then I would propose to you, you need to repent. And if there's something in your heart that thinks that your ability to be acceptable to the law of God is in your ability, then you equally need to repent. The truth of the matter is is that we're acceptable in Christ, that Christ is the fulfillment of the law, and he's the means by which we find the perfect law that revives our soul, that gives us hope. Before I pray out, I just want to give you a second to close your eyes. And just talk to God. I don't know what he's been saying to you. I don't know where where he's hit you through this. We just want to land on verse 14. It says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock, my redeemer. God, would you work that in us? We're a broken people. And oftentimes we don't see your law as perfect. We don't see your ways as perfect. And I pray this morning that you'd help us get there. A little bit further down the road, help us get there. Show us how that looks. Show us areas in our heart that aren't yours. Truly, may the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be 100% acceptable in your sight. 
for you are a faithful God and we surrender to you in Christ's name.